Hi, and thank you again for listening to our podcast. We wanted to let you know before we start the episode that Hidden Fortress contains a few instances of either implied or attempted sexual assault and a couple scenes depicting women who are sold into and out of sexual slavery. If you decide to continue listening, keep that in mind in case you'd rather not be surprised by that discussion. Thank you. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Again, for listening to Try Love, I am Jason. I'm Cody. I'm Harry. John. Today we're going to be talking about Hidden Fortress, uh, the 1958 Kuro- Akira Kurosawa film starring Toshiro Mifune. Uh, which, I mean, by this point we all kind of know his repertoire. Yeah. Should we start over? Edit that chunk <laughs> yeah. out. I'm going to edit that chunk out. <laughs> no, that was good. Keep that in. <laughs> I like that silence. We no. need more silences here. There's not enough silence. <laughs> not enough silence. There's not enough Martin Scorsese silence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the summary from Letterboxd for The Hidden Fortress has Aaron's really not with us, and I failed to write a summary beforehand. I we apologize. are falling apart at the seams is what we're doing right, right. now. Letterboxd uh, really saves our bacon. Uh, get a Letterboxd account. Follow us on Letterboxd. Yes. Also, I have my own Do mic, that. so it's a good day. <laughs> I'll, I'll drop our ads. I wrote a big, screen. long review of Seven Samurai. I read that. I was waiting for my children oh, really? to be done cooking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Harry, I didn't know you were a writer. Did I, I do you write in any other venues? It's like an Onion article. Like, man waits for his no. chicken to be done cooking. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm hungry. Yeah, Time to think about the generations of violence and trauma. In yeah, exactly. That's amazing. Oops. I got to read your review. <laughs> I shot it with the rubber band. This is garbage. <laughs> you You're so wow. skilled. Okay, so the description for this movie, the summary for this movie on uh, Letterboxd has really, really tiny font, and my eyes are terrible, so I'm going to hold it really close to my face. Japanese peasants Matashichi, I believe Matashichi. Japanese peasants Matashichi and Tahei try and fail to make a profit from a tribal war. They find a man and woman they believe are simple tribe members hiding in a fortress. Uh, although the peasants don't know that Rokuroda is a general and Yuki is a princess, the peasants agree to accompany the pair to safety in return for gold. Uh, along the way, the general must prove his ex- expertise in battle while also hiding his identity. That's Rokuroda as the chief. Yeah, mm-hmm. That was pretty good and only like weirdly, mildly problematic. Why did they call the clans tribes? <laughs> That's mm. weird. Clans are not tribes. I don't know who writes these for Letterboxd, so I should... But they're uh, on notice. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> You're almost canceled. I read all the descriptions. <laughs> wow. uh, are we going to read my review, our reviews now of Hidden Fortress on Letterboxd? Do, Do you have a review? Of, did you write a review I would love to talk about yeah, that. I, I, no, don't yeah, read my review. Feel free to pull from it. Don't um, read my review. I, it's I, probably I, just two sentences. I think we should just start out with um, the very basics of, like, what did we like? Did you like this movie? Of course. I mean, I liked it. It's a little... Too, it was a little too long for the first 
first. But it was also, as far as you know, Kurosawa's films go, it was, a little, it was uh, not as interesting to me. But it was a lot of fun. Okay. Great cinematography, as always, with him. And mm-hmm. Mifune kills it, of course. That was my, yeah, that's my Harry? review. That's my, my short review. Um, I liked it a lot, too. I think it aged worse than most of Kurosawa's movies. Uh, Cody and I talked about this a little bit. I think that the central conceit of the movie that we're following these two sort of uh, ne'er-do-wells uh, peasants, um, I, they participate in a lot of behavior that is, uh, like, extremely uh, despicable and problematic and not something that I want to follow in a in a movie, right? Um, I'm talking specifically about a part where they uh, they are debating or not debating, but they're they're trying to figure out how to sexually assault the princess while she's sleeping. Um, it's that's one of many behaviors that are sort of like silly and despicable that we're supposed to sort of laugh at mm-hmm. uh, the way that they're framed in the movie, and it, it makes it difficult to enjoy their journey uh, the way I think the movie intends you to. That's my bit of i guess uh it which which like it, it's a it's a damper on what should be a sort of like rollicking adventure story right right yeah, um right. for sure otherwise yeah. it's a pretty high-spirited movie in many respects in a lot of ways there's some interesting stuff uh where it gets uh pretty melancholy uh but yeah mm-hmm. but it, it's definitely like a like an indiana jones style adventure movie i like that comparison more than the star wars comparisons which we can get to in a minute but cody um I generally liked it. Um, I actually think after chewing on it for a couple weeks, because we saw it a few weeks ago at, at the trial, and of course, um, I feel myself wanting to rewatch it more. And I think part of that is because after seeing uh, more of Kurosawa's films, it's like he uses so many of the same players. Um, and like after reading up on Seven Samurai, which we. Uh, a number of us rewatched a few days ago. There are so many people in Hidden Fortress. Um, the peasants, for example. Um, the uh, uh, the man who plays Tahe, uh, Minoru Chiaki. Um, he was Hei Hachi, the like the woodcutter. Nice. Um, so just I don't, and just like mapping together actors across films of the same auteurs, super fun. Was Tadokuro also in uh, Seven Samurai? Um, was that again? He was the yeah. d- the general who uh, Tishiro Mifune's character Makabe fights. There's a really oh. good fight sequence in this movie. Uh, I did, but I did not. I wouldn't doubt it. But I I can't didn't, remember I didn't either. It's been yeah. a while. Yeah. Um, the other peasant uh, Matasichi uh, Kamatori. Who I probably spelled that Fujiwara. wrong. Fujiwara. Fujiwara. Thank you. He was Manzo in Seven Samurai. Nice. Um, and then uh, Takashi Shimura, who is. Oh, it, he's everywhere. He's yeah. he's everywhere. Um, and I don't know. I, if anything, would have liked to see more from uh, Misa Uihara, who played Princess yeah, Yuki. Yeah, Princess Yuki. Yes, the standout character of this movie. Standout for sure. Yeah, she got like I don't. Know, she. This was her first film role. Oh really? Um, and she has ten, I think, between TV and movie credits. Uh, for her career. And this um, was number one? This is the first one that she... Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, so super impressive. Uh, a great physical performance. Yeah. Um, like, she got some great... Uh, like, the framing and blocking for her uh, across her scenes was super great. I feel like I she was... I just wish she would have done more. 
I feel like she was more of the poster art of this movie more than Toshiro. Yeah. Like her on top of the For mountains, sure. like, you know, Definitely. that shot from the, yeah, it's, it's all over the posters, it's all over the cover art. And it is Princess Yuki's story much more mm-hmm. so than it is uh, Roku, Rota, Makabe's. Yeah, her story more than really anyone's. I, Tahe or yeah. yeah, I, like, it's unfortunate that it sort of came through the wash as the story of these two peasants being, you know, the eyes for the story. Um, but Which, uh, yeah, I have conflicted feelings about that, right? Because, like, that is definitely a thing mm-hmm. that Akura Kurosawa cares about deeply, is depicting, is, like, is who we follow in these movies and, like, like which sides of the story mm-hmm. are told. And this movie is, like, a part of his larger sort of emphasis. I think, when did Seven Samurai come out? 54. Right, and this is 58. Mm-hmm. So, like, very much in that, that era of, like, choosing to, pointedly choosing to depict... Um, these sort of epic sweeping stories from the perspectives of the small people mm-hmm. or within them, the the peasants and the in the marginalized, um, which is like which is a thing that that's really deeply respectable, right? But like also in this case, when you choose to frame the characters the way that you did as these sort of like attempting to be amoral, but in fact like deeply immoral and yeah. like yeah. evil people, right? That like it's tough to. Uh, to get behind that. I don't know. It's it's funny, right? Because, like, on the one hand, like, I think so much of what makes this movie unique and special is the fact that he chose to depict uh, into to foreground Tahe and Matasichi. Mm. But on the other hand, like, I would have rather seen a movie that was just about Makabe and Yuki, right? Like, yeah. That, that adventure would have been, yeah. like, considerably easier to swallow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for I, sure. I would agree. The um, two main characters who I was just trying to remember, I know it's Matasichi and... Tahe. 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 Uh, there is a lot of time spent at the beginning of this film, maybe close to an hour, or maybe just felt like close to an hour, just showing the, us their exploits, mm-hmm. which ultimately become kind of that completely irrelevant and insignificant. Like, it, it does establish how they come into the plot. Yeah. And it does establish, like, what position they play as members of one nation or the other. But it's it didn't feel super consequential to me. Uh, and just, I, I, I definitely understand and, and really appreciate the way that uh, Kurosawa has of like showing us bigger conflicts through a smaller lens mm-hmm. of like these two uh, vagabonds, these two rascals who are just out for the gold uh, and who stumble upon something way bigger than, than themselves. But it just felt like, to me like the first 45 minutes of this movie probably could have been a, a tighter 20 maybe? I think yeah. I agree with that. Um, I think that like it's weird right because I think that this movie is doing two genres sort of at once where like I think the stuff that follows Tahe and Mata Sichi, it like it's it's not an adventure movie. It's like a weird picaresque. I was that's what that uh, strained face I was making a second ago was. I was trying to remember, remember that genre term. <laughs> um, kind of like uh, what's the name of that that um, shit? Uh, Star Wars. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. Of Star Wars. Anyway. I I have a problem remembering any vocab terms when I'm on mic. <laughs> anyway, uh, but, like, it, it's it's paced, like, super differently from a standard adventure, right? Where, like, we get these, like, really long sweeping scenes where they're, like, they're, like, tiny pieces of a much larger sequence mm-hmm. where, like, uh, and, and some of uh, Kurosawa's, like, best um, shots in this movie, like, like there are giant prison break sequences, right? Where there are like oh hundreds of Lord. people on screen at once and yeah. it's like, how did you yeah. do that? Yeah. And they're just tiny CGI. pieces of it. And like <laughs> <laughs> Michael Bay stuff. There's something really cool there, right? About like about zooming out the lens in that way to depict how these two people 
who we follow as the main characters are tiny pieces of a mm-hmm. much larger puzzle yeah. because mm-hmm. it gets you started thinking about the world more broadly and about what what it's like to inhabit this world and right. in, especially in a movie that has factions in this way where like there are uh, the Yamana and the Azuki clans and like we th- we're thinking about clans and like nations it's really cool to have that broader perspective be brought in um, over and over again. They do it again near the end of the movie when they go to that village and they're celebrating the harvest festival. I think it's a harvest festival. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, with the pyre in the middle? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there are hundreds of people dancing around and like, Dope, shit. The, the characters get lost in those it's a fire sequences. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't even see them at, at certain they're points. They're just dancing heads And, and much. they're affected by those scenes and we're affected by those scenes sort of in the same way where it's like we're, we're given a broader understanding of the context mm-hmm. that these people can out of um, in a really interesting way that I think to different extents works throughout the movie uh, John and Cody you have any thoughts on that specific aspect of this movie I mean I love you guys are talking about I love how it opens up with them and, and you start seeing it through their lens and especially when they're falling around Toshiro and he's walking into the cave and he's just laughing at them is some of my favorite Kurosawa moments I think I, I was laughing hysterically on some of those parts and I think you know from the get go you're like this is going to be a super fun movie I know what I'm in for um, and yeah, it, it, and then after a while, I think um, there's definitely some uh, questionable uh, motives <laughs> on their part. And then it, it's, I think there's a lot of unnecessary scenes with them. But as far as the first, you know, what you were saying, first 45 minutes or something like that, um, I was completely in. Um, I loved. I, I, I don't know. I love. I love that perception, like what Harry was talking about, where where you do feel it's just so relatable, at least for a while, where you feel like you're the small man and you're just kind of t- yeah. taking this in from that perspective. So. It's hard for me to argue with like the way that those 40, first 45 minutes are shot because, like, from the intro, I hope I'm remembering the right movie. From the very introductory scene, we see Matashichi and Tahe, Tahe, mm-hmm. uh, just kind of wandering in a field, bemoaning their existence because they were leftovers of war, uh, and then they see a man. Uh, killed by guards, right? And mm-hmm. like the camera does, the camera doesn't uh, like cut from that. It's mm-hmm. all one pretty close cut on the guy who's being just yep. shivved in the, yeah, of the yeah. open field. It's really uh, intentional. Which like, I like. It, it's a lot of memorable, great cinematography and obviously great acting, directing. It's just really hard for me to justify in retrospect taking all that time for two characters that, that ultimately like they serve as our lens, sure, but once. Once that's spent, it didn't feel... Exactly, I, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah it didn't feel consistent. I think, uh, I don't know, I might be coming around on it a little bit, actually. Mm-hmm. I, uh, by the way, the movie I was thinking of was Kubrick's Barry Lyndon, which is oh. also a picaresque movie. Yeah, great um, film. Yeah, I like that movie a lot. Um, Amazing movie. Uh, but, because um, I, I really like, maybe, maybe this is more uh, me getting caught up in, in the theory of the thing and you taking issue with the practice, which is sort of a... Uh, um, it's back a fun and forth we, we have. have fun here. Yeah. Um, but I really like the idea of taking a, a, a sort of picaresque story about two um, good-for-nothings and, like, grafting it to a classical adventure story hmm. because it, it's, it subverts and alters the way that we process or, or view the adventure story. Uh, and it, it gives us a new frame of reference that I don't think we would have before. You know, like, like there, there's obviously such a pointed reason why you would want Tahe and Marisichi to be your frame of reference into this story, right? Like, like we want to see Makabe in a certain way, from a certain distance, and we want to see Yuki from a certain distance. Um, and I think that the beginning and end of this movie really accomplished that, where where the, the adventure story sort of unfolds in parallel to this um, picaresque story. 
the the problem being, like you said, like it's tough when you don't like the characters the mm-hmm. way that we're supposed to. And like, I really didn't like Tahe or Monsuji. Right, right. I don't and think you're supposed to like him, are you? I feel like you weren't. I feel like you kind of are. Almost every moment of what they're doing is either comedic or mm-hmm. like a little bit heartbreaking. I think you're supposed like to when laugh they're interacting at them, with not with them. As stupid mm. as it sounds, but that's kind no, of that's for me. That's yeah, what it felt like. Yeah, like you're all these fucking idiots. I can I can see that. But like, there's something lovable in that, right? Like they're, they're supposed to be these sort of like goofballs. Yeah, right. And it's like, like a Three Stooges type thing. Yeah, I mean, I I think I I after we saw Hidden Fortress, I was pretty dead set on like nobody in this film undergoes any sort of arc, um, and I'm now kind of seeing it as these two peasants, they have highs and lows that are communicated mostly in that first like 45 minutes and then they're just kind of there to establish some sort of common thread or baseline and then everybody else is like we're witnessing as you kind of said Harry like on a parallel like these noble people ascending um, and like there's a class politic there right yeah like, absolutely. there's a high and low yeah, yeah. High and low. Another Ha-ha! Kurosawa movie. Uh, and now yeah. we're going to talk about that. <laughs> we didn't see it. But uh, yeah. Literal highs and lows. Um, we've been commenting on the great cinematography. I think one of the, probably the the best, my favorite at least, um, set pieces or just shots of the movie. The um, uh, the battleship Potemkin-esque stairs. Um, yeah. Everybody's coming down oh, after that man. prison break. Yeah. Great reference, yeah. yeah. Uh, that Well, that entire sequence was unreal. That shot where it's just... Yeah. Hundreds of people How going are that, downstairs for a minute, people couple minutes. In, like all of Japan, <laughs> it's that was crazy. It's unreal. I like. I kept thinking during that sequence specifically about like you. I, I can't think of any directors who could do something like that today. Yeah. And like to to shoot something like that in 1958 and to coordinate it that way is right. astounding. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was. Uh, there's a lot of well, especially in um, Stray Dog, which we'll talk about at another point, but. Sergei Eisenstein, because he did Battleship Potemkin, was mm-hmm. it? The, yep. Yeah. There's a lot of the, the editing reminded me a lot of his movies too. Not so much in the Hidden Fortress, more Stray Dog, but there was a little bit of that. But I think Kurosawa was really influenced by Battleship Potemkin, mm-hmm. um, which I read. So yeah, you can totally see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As far as the choreography, though, man, um, uh, just the way it's shot too. How everything is so vivid in the shot, because you know it's it's easy to get the choreography in there and all the people involved. But the way Kurosawa shoots it. Um, there's so much attention to detail and making people stand out and having every individual crisp and vivid and, um, you know, just standing out in the crowd as far as, you know, I don't know if it's the lens choices he used or what, but there's, no one's just kind of blurred out and it doesn't – no one kind of blends in or anything like that. So yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah, and like a, a fascinating example of like how craft can follow uh, theme or, or ideology because like in this, this movie – This is my shit. <laughs> in this movie that's all about uh, like – introducing the idea of the masses into this sort of very insular uh, adventure story about nobility and about how nobility moves through the world and like like introducing through Tahe and Marasichi and through the viewer uh, how those stories affect the broader world around them in in a very similar way it's super instructive to have seen Seven Samurai which we saw more recently mm-hmm. which is also like extremely about that same approach um, but but so the the idea that we're going to shoot an adventure story, but we're going to do it the way that he did it, the way like introducing as much as possible the surrounding context and mm-hmm. the surrounding suffering of common people and of uh, of the masses uh, is really interesting, right? Like you can you can totally see how like the idea followed or was followed by the craft. Um, 
which is really cool and really um, fascinating. Yeah. Do you think we would have gotten that with another director? Like, are there other directors you can think of that, like, that the pipeline is that clear and consistent? Because I feel like for a lot of the movies uh, Kuro, or, yeah, Kurosawa directed, I feel like that is that could be said, where, like, the idea of the movie is pretty evident in the way that it's shot and the mm-hmm. way that it's acted and the way that it's directed. Uh, and I know that's kind of like the job of the director, but I don't feel like a whole lot of no, directors that's a, hit on that's that very a really often. Great take. I think Ozu does that. Ozu is a very genre-wise and maybe mood-wise very different filmmaker. Who? Uh, Yasujiro Ozu. He did Definitely. like uh, Late Autumn, Record of a Tenement Gentleman. He's a really famous Japanese Super um, good, yeah. This sounds silent really cool. Film, I was going to say I we saw... Mostly? Um, filmmaker. Um, Kora 8 is often considered his contemporary... Yeah, um, when we saw Mabarose, I was like, that is a fucking inheritor. Ozu movie. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's an, it's an complicated But every uh, shot of it is just... But yeah, it's just so it? thematically... Um, resonance in every single shot um, like you were saying it's like every single shot is trying to portray an exact idea of what he had what he had to begin with in conceiving the movie mm-hmm. which is really interesting yeah yeah no that's great um, Ozu popularized or maybe invented the like pillow scenes which are like little connective scenes that don't add to the plot but are like uh, mood pieces okay which uh, Bob Rossi like super ripped off like if you <laughs> it's just uh, two but, hours of pillow scenes yeah I uh, <laughs> got him. <laughs> Um, very, very good movie. Yeah. It's, um, it's valid for that. What should we say about... Oh, uh, I, when you said that the characters in this movie don't have an arc, I, because I'm Harry Mack and got very mad about that and started thinking <laughs> about the ways in which you're wrong. It was very visible that you were upset. I'm so, always so upset then, about so everything. What, what do you mean by that, Cody and Harry? How do you dispute it? Like, that the characters don't have an arc. I guess in my mind, and I was mistaken at the time, I was equating that with, like, these characters don't change, which is still, like, in some ways correct for, like, the I think noble... It's, I think that's a totally valid reading. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and it was my brain and my mouth weren't connecting in that way. And I was just like, well, obviously these, like, characters have a journey. Um, they are more so just, like, we're kind of stuck with R2-D2 and C-3B, or the peasants. Um, no, but, but <laughs> maybe we should bring that up, right? Yeah, like that, do we have uh, to? Yeah. <laughs> the thing that everybody talks about in this movie is that uh, George Lucas ripped it off to make Star Wars. Um, his original script was, like, literally a remake of this movie. That script ended up being similar to Phantom Menace, which you can see a lot hmm. of similarities uh, right. in this movie. Which apparently, sorry to cut you off, no, but you were saying that the first script, wasn't there an also C-3PO, R2-D2 questionable rape scene, too? What? I heard about that, and I don't know if that was a joke. That they cut out? Yeah. I'm I not swear. sorry that you said... I'm sorry that I heard that. Look it up at some point. No. I swear I heard it. Okay. Right? <laughs> that yeah. sounds terrible. Yeah. Much like it was in The Hidden Fortress. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Anyways, continue what you were saying. I had to bring that <laughs> up. I don't. <laughs> Lucas. Oh, uh, so like the, the idea of C-3PO and R2-D2 being the framing device through which we see Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, which, by the way, that completely falls apart after the first act of Star Wars, yep. so it's not even a good comparison. But, like, anyway... Um, Sorry, film criticism. That you apparently, suck. like, came from Hidden Fortress, and, and George Lucas was extremely informed by Hidden Fortress. Um, the, 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 the things that Lucas owes Kurosawa are like myriad and extensive, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you only see the ridiculous wipes transitions in <laughs> Kurosawa movies yeah. and Lucas movies. Um, it's hilarious. I don't know. Um, 
No, but like to to get back to your point, I, I I actually think that the idea of the the noble characters not having arcs is is a really good point to make because like uh, like you said, like it's not really their story, right? Like pointedly, we're seeing this story through the lens of Matasichi and Tahe, mm-hmm. and so like that story sort of unfolding in parallel is, um. It's it's important that it doesn't have the sort of hallmarks of what it might have if it was the main story, the sort of a plot. Um, I mean, that being said, like I <laughs> worked really hard to try to make arcs where like Yuki comes to understand the world and she becomes to be a good leader, and Makabe, you know, he stops uh, his blind devotion to the idea of lords and actually starts to uh, understand what it like the ideology behind leading and, and starts to follow Yuki because she's a good leader instead of anyway um, no those are that's kind of like what I what I had hoped this movie was going to yeah, be more overt about I think yeah I think that that there are some this is such a weird thing to say but like some missed opportunities with these characters there definitely mm-hmm. is yeah, with what's her up, I think Kurosawa I'm gonna write <laughs> the movie better yeah exactly uh, here is bold move oh god <laughs> yeah get off the podcast but like they they set it up so good in the first act, right? Where like Makabe he he sends his his own sister to die to um, cover up Yuki's being alive because Yuki was a um, or Makabe's sister was a lookalike to Yuki, right? And so he sends her to die so that Yuki is presumed dead so that she can get back to her clan, which they're trying to revitalize after it was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and Yuki admonishes him for not even crying. He, she says he always keeps a noble exterior. And then fast forward to the third act when they're all captured and Yuki is giving this speech about how she's comfortable to die because she got to see the world and she got to learn what it means to be a, a person in the world, which she had never experienced before. And they keep showing Makabe looking upset about this, and I kept waiting for him to break down and cry, which would have been the perfect summation of his sort of character arc, and it just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. And, like, you have Toshiro Mifune, who could sell crying oh, better sure. than anybody, because he's, <laughs> re- like, a ridiculously... Sell crying better than yeah. a baby. But, yeah, anyway, that's... Oh, I was gonna say, I, as weird as I feel saying this, um, could we talk about Toshiro Mifune uh, just briefly? Um, this... His character in this seemed like a healthy, distinct combination of characters that we've seen him in at Trilon up to now. I almost wish this were the first Toshiro Meifune film that I had seen, because this seems Mm. like a good starting point to understanding him as an artist. And then, like many other performances that sort of branch off of this are more extreme examples. Like... I, just like he is a combination of his character in Yojimbo and Seven Samurai, just yeah. like very distinctly with bits and pieces of other things. With a little in bit there. of red beard. Is, he's yeah, very cartoon, red beard. cartoonish too. At yeah. least the beginning. Yeah. Do it like is that is that, that a fair take? No, okay. I love that. Okay. I love the idea that like all of the Mifune characters are like branches of Makabe. <laughs> that like like. Uh, like, what is the most extreme version of this aspect of Makabe? Like, Makabe we'll go going insane over from the there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know. Also, like telling, a, telling a little bit that this wasn't far from his first movie with Kurosawa, right? right? This yeah. was 1958. This he is a surprisingly late movie for uh, Kurosawa. I would have guessed that this was earlier, right? Like, mm-hmm. this is post Seven Samurai. I didn't like, know that. I thought this was before. Yeah. yeah. It, wow. It's, yeah, 58 versus yep. 54. Stray Dog was 49, right? So yeah. like, that's a long working relationship. Uh, I just wonder how, like, that, the experience of acting this character, which, as you said, is kind of like a prism, a little bit of a panoply of, like, a bunch of different things that 
uh, Mifune was known to be good at, mm-hmm. uh, how that like influenced his acting career beyond that, especially with Kurosawa, because like Yojimbo was what sixty one. Yep. Sanjiro was sixty two, sixty three, something like 62, that. Sixty two, I believe. Uh, and then Redbeard was even further mm-hmm. on. Yeah. So mm-hmm. it's like, did he hone that? Did he let's just like try to focus on different aspects of that? Did he decide like I'm not going to be all of these things again in a movie because I don't, I haven't seen his entire filmography post this. But it's just it's an interesting thing to that think is, about. No, that's actor. a super interesting thing. It's a super interesting thing, and that's I'm so grateful to the Trilon for playing these yeah. Kurosawa mm-hmm. movies yeah. because it's so fascinating to see both of these men's career arcs mm-hmm. like go on parallel, but alternative journeys, right? Where like it seems like they're learning things about their craft and about what they want to do and how they want to approach it. Um, like it's super fascinating to see Hidden Fortress and then I Live in Fear and then. Um, Stray Dog and think about how Kurosawa was thinking about like who do we depict in film and why and like mm-hmm. who, de- who deserves to have their stories told and uh, and wh- like what does it mean when we choose to focus where we focus and like because like I sorry I'm promoting myself but like <laughs> I was waiting for my chili to be done and I wrote a big long stupid thing about Seven Samurai because I was getting emotional thinking about Seven Samurai uh, and like weepy chili it's, it's really time. cool to me that like. Like, Kurosawa's movies, they're, they are often about long past times, right? Like, feudal eras of Japanese history. But they're also so much about the moment that he was in. And even about the future that he was looking forward mm-hmm. to. And I think that he was really intimately uh, interested in what film is for in a really interesting way. Um, and I think that his choice to depict the people he depicted... Um, in all of their flaws, I guess, even flaws that we had huge problems with in this movie. Like, it means something, right? Like, it's an attempt at something. It's an attempt to sort of give film to people who weren't usually depicted, Hmm. Uh, which is maybe why it's so disappointing that, like, there are so few women in all of his movies. Yeah. Are there any relationships or working relationships between d- director and actor today that you would compare to their oh, interesting. relationship? Because obviously Scorsese and DiCaprio comes up, but I don't know if it's as comparable or if it's as similar. Anderson and uh, Joaquin There Phoenix. you go. Oh, that's, oh, a, that's a that is a really one. good one. I thought you were going to say Anderson and Bill Murray. Wes or, Anderson. <laughs> oh, different Anderson. Or yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson and uh, um, Daniel Day-Lewis. I was going to yeah. say more yep. Philip Baker Hall yeah. or John C. Riley because they've probably been – no, Philip Seymour Hoffman. There's oh, been more, sure. m- more movies. I think they've only yeah. been two. I mean, I, you said Anderson, and I was yes. like, Wes Anderson and like a dozen different people. <laughs> That's true, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Bill Murray, Adrian Brody. Wes know. Anderson and his cinematographer. <laughs> <laughs> Is he his own cinematographer? No. 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 I don't think so. No, I don't he know has, who his cinematographer Anderson sucks. Canceled. <laughs> wow. No, never, 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 never heard uh, of that. Isle of Dogs. Um, you didn't like that Very Kurosawa-inspired. I hate mm-hmm. that movie. Which Seven Samurai is in that movie. At least the audio is from the movie. Really? That oh, one part. Yeah. I was told that. I'm sure that's... I'm sure it is. Nice. Because he's very influenced by that movie. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Isle of Dogs is like his Kurosawa movie. Yeah. He said that. Oh. He said that? Yeah. <laughs> now well, I feel I mean, worse like, about it. That movie is all about how cute Japanese culture is and yeah. how funny it is and how cool. weird it is. Yeah. Uh, Cool, Wes Anderson. God, good dude. <laughs> Love that. Uh, so, Budapest Hotel is such a good fucking movie. Really like, what, do you have to, what are you doing? Why would you make another movie? <laughs> uh, so what were the moments to, uh, for you guys that stuck out in this movie? Like, what do you remember when you think of Hidden Fortress? Obviously, these, like, arching themes, when you get down digging about it, they stick out. But, like, things that stuck in your mind while watching it. And after, I guess. I gotta be honest, since everyone told me about the Star Wars thing, that was in my, the forefront of my mind for the first hour, at yeah. least, just trying to find the, the similarities. And it's really, 
I'll help springboard that with like yeah. just the scenery in particular, how they're like climbing up and down these stony, yeah. duny hills. Mm-hmm. Like it's very clearly Tatooine, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I definitely see how that stuck out. I didn't. I knew one line about how like it was a precursor to Star Wars, but I didn't read into like how influential it was supposed to have been. So that didn't stick out to me way too much as I was going through. Yeah, uh, I mean, one thing I love about Kurosawa, and this is in all his movies, and I think more so in the first half of this movie, but he just you know the absence of dialogue plays so much to his environments and his the story he's telling in. Stray Dog 2, there's a huge sequence, which I think we should talk about later, but one of my favorite sequences in any Kurosawa movie, um, Throne of Blood has a lot of that, um, of just uh, a lot of horse galloping, some music maybe, and just wind noises, and that adds, um, for me, that's like what I love about him the most. Obviously, he's telling very powerful stories, but there's a certain aesthetic that only he can do, and I think obviously a lot of people have tried to rip off, and some do it well, some don't, but sure. yeah, that, that stuff like is some of the most impactful stuff for me in the movies. Harry Goody? Um, I I do think of the just any scene where Rogaroda and Princess Yugi are interacting, especially after the peasants join their journey, um, because they are there to make things difficult for these people who could otherwise make this like a half hour movie. <laughs> um, uh, but those those two just kind of like giving each giving each other like the oh brother eyes. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know why that's such a vibrant image. Um, and then also the the show stopping uh, duel between. Rogaroda. I was going to bring this up as well. Yeah, just like the the movie just stops, and we watch Toshiro Mefune have a, a, a big spear duel with um, this guy whose name Kyo, I forgot. Uh, Todokoro. Okay. Yes. Todok- Todokoro, probably. I don't know. He's that's also a name of a character in Food Wars. <laughs> Interesting. Food <laughs> Wars? Shogugeki no Soba. Harry, <laughs> <laughs> you care to take an this anime. podcast over anyway, for the rest of my right. life? Uh, the actor's name is Susumo Fujita. Right. Okay, perfect. Yeah, I don't, that was just like a 10, 15 minute, just like, we're going to oh, have this lightsaber duel, um, and, and like, it's going to be cool. Uh, like, fictionally framed to be that way, too, where like, like Makabe, uh, he literally gallops into an enemy camp because he's trying to stop scouts, and... Uh, Todokoro is there and they knew each other and uh <clears throat> and he's like he and Makabe have like this working relationship where they've been on the opposite side of wars before and so they they know each other and Makabe challenges him to a duel because like he could never fight his way out of this camp and Todokoro accepts and we're like here we fucking go <laughs> and like it pays off so well it's like legitimately one of the coolest intensest fight scenes I've ever seen in a movie it doesn't it doesn't have that soundtrack of like the <coughs> typical I forget what the instrument's called but that like clacking instrument sound that you hear yeah. in, like the jimbo yeah, yeah. you hear your jimbo when you hear like in stereotypical Japanese uh, settings of mm-hmm. like a duel, but I swear to God that was playing in my head the entire time because it is just <laughs> such. A you have your own in the theater. That you're just, 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 <laughs> Shut up! Oh, that was you doing that. that oh, was wow. me. Sorry, was you in the front of you the were theater, right there too. I'm surprised you're not deaf. Yeah, left ear. It was in and, his own. It was such a good scene. Such a distinctively Kurosawan uh, fight scene too. Where like uh, like John said, like it's so much about waiting and about the space between actions, mm-hmm. and like there's so many, so much of this fight scene is just the two men with spears just standing there looking at each other yeah. it's so Bushido Blade like it, it's it so the end of Sinjaro fuck, it's like oh man it's good it Sergio was, Leone obviously took so much of that yeah, for his movies definitely yeah. uh, Sergio Leone just straight up ripped off Kurosawa, basically like, which you know he's doing his own thing too but like some of those shots it's like yeah, okay he's being racist uh, <laughs> <laughs> there you go 
<laughs> Racism. Um, I loved I loved that scene. Um, I I love how animated this movie can be. Um, there's a scene <laughs> where, where Princess Yuki is standing on a uh, mountainside, looking down at her clan's former lands. Her clan being deposed and replaced, and she's thinking about her clan and about her responsibility to them and her responsibility to rule. And she's holding her stick, and she's like she's like got this this wide stance, and she's weeping. And then when she weeps, you see the clan's flag, the uh, Akazuki clan, just transposed behind her and it's like the like oh man that was such a good <laughs> shot and like such a studio ghibli ass shot yeah. and like princess yuki is such just nausicaa like she's just <laughs> in, like a ghibli character and i l- adored that um like you said uh misa uehara is amazing in this movie um especially the scenes where um she's being chased by tahe and marasichi and like she she has she like uses the forest against them to, yeah. to stop them like she's pulling branches and like using her switch to like beat them back and like it's so funny and like she's so clever and like the way that they shoot those scenes is is super fun to watch um yeah i think uh in terms of shooting like it's cool that this is late kurosawa or later kurosawa because like it's so confident like some of the shots in this movie are so well done um the, the shots where Toshiro Mifune's character is chasing the scouts and he's got the sword up and they do the Monty Python thing where they keep showing him in that same stance. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Ah! It was like a parody. Yeah. yeah. It, it was so funny and like so well <laughs> Canonically, the thing should have been like a 15 second chase, but it's a good like minute of just that like panning between or cutting between him and, the, and his pursuit. I pursuant, couldn't tell if it was the same shot that they were literally just I think it's at end. least a couple times they recycled. Yeah, imagine it a is. mainstream action movie doing that like Avengers Infinity War where it's just like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> like every shot. I've definitely <laughs> seen that in Tim and Eric once or yeah. twice. Yeah. yeah, good shit. Uh, um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I didn't have anything to say. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what did you, what stood out to you, Jason? About this movie? Yeah. I, I, I guess the only, probably the bonfire scene. I love yeah, bonfire that. That was, I won't say that it is like indicative of the whole movie to me like the way that, um, the, the dual scene would have been, but it does. It's like a, a culmination of all these different things. You've got a lot, of, a couple different plot elements coming underneath, like where um, I, I forget, but I, I think the two uh, bandits are are they trying to escape when they jump into the the the, 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 the scenario is that they are hiding out with the princess and with Rokurota, um and they have a cart full of the gold that's mm-hmm. in sticks that they bundled in sticks. And they Which jump. is the clan, the Akazuki clan's gold, right? Like, it's yeah. the gold that they're going to use to revitalize their clan once they get back to their home territory. It's basically Golden Kamui, if anybody's read or seen that. Nice. No? Okay. Mm. Nah, so, you don't get to make anime a, references. That's my purview. Thank it's you. It's a manga reference. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, shit. Oh, we're thrown down. Uh, but it is, you two are so cute. Uh, so, so they're... Uh, they end up at this celebration, this harvest festival... Uh, where I think just literally everything is being burned, just like yeah. earthly it's so possessions. so convenient to have wood. Everyone's just carrying wood. It's like, oh, that's some great writing right there. And, of course, like it's that uh, – it reminded me of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, actually, where yeah. it's the book-burning rally and, and oh, Indiana wow, Jones yeah. Hitler. Uh, it's, it has no like thematic resonance uh-huh. there, but just like visually it's, it reminds me very much of that scene. Wow. That took a long time to <laughs> stop rolling around. Uh but that, like, just because of how the rest of the movie we've already spoken about, like John was saying, it's it can be kind of quiet, it can be kind of natural. This is very much like a 
group of people making noise, being visual, and yeah. it, it sticks out as like at least what I remember mm-hmm. uh, very vividly about the movie, that and the uh, princess's acting style, where she's just very sharp, quick movements and very slappy with that <laughs> stick. Yeah. Her dialogue, to me, didn't seem... I don't know. It just seemed weirdly written. It just seems too literal, and just it, it didn't seem well written from a man. I guess. Well, I she's a I don't know. she's a. Pr- I don't mean to defend that because yeah. it's it's probably a legitimate criticism. Probably. Yeah. Probably. I, like, I love to see her on screen. She's going to sound super bad, but when she talked, I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> God. <laughs> but it was a dialogue. That, that did sound really or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but she, to me, like the fact that she sounded like she was reading from a car. Well, not not in acting, but in, in her terms of her script, in her in her dialogue, in her specific lines uh, was because she had been a princess like she hadn't experienced the yeah. world in the well, way they, she does they by they the end they call that out explicitly John so like I don't I don't know that that's I mean maybe it's shitty that you said that but <laughs> maybe um, but I mean I was, I was more criticizing Kurosawa not her not a woman oh but, sure because um, it just felt like just too plainly written to me but. they do call out specifically that uh, I mean, for for much of the movie, she has to pretend to be mute. That's sort of one of the funny uh, yeah. complications of the adventure. Because as they say, I can't remember the exact line, but it's something like we can disguise her, um, her clothes, but not her bearing, and like mm-hmm. she acts so much like a princess, right? Where like she talks differently from everyone else in the movie, and she holds herself differently. She's That's true. very rigid, and she she moves in big sweeping movements. Mm-hmm. Um, she moves which is kind of like, like you'd expect Rokuroda to actually. Now that I think about it, yeah, like, he's a chief. He's like, or I forget what role he general. had. She's a, gen- a general. He's a general. He's, yeah. So he he's had, a legendary samurai general, as he's described by right. one of the two peasants, which Tai-hei, is yeah. Which, yeah, which is one of the most Mifune ass descriptions of anything <laughs> uh-huh. ever. Uh, but yeah, he, he he's supposed to be carrying himself with a lot of yeah. gravitas, and he just kind of seems like a braggart for most of this movie because he's trying to hide his identity from the two. Go, go, go ahead with what you were saying. It no, just I'm, was I'm an sorry. interesting uh, parallel for me. Yeah, no, uh, I think that. So I, I think that um, that's another really good example of like the movie explicitly calling out what the craft also reproduces, where like. Uh, like we understand in her acting that she is no noble before we even get that sense, mm-hmm. right? And like we we when he says like we can't disguise her bearing, it's like oh shit, yeah, that would be a problem because like whenever she talks, it's like oh that's a princess talking, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a person. She's who above is, me. She was yeah, yelling noble. every line. Yes, yeah, uh, she does have a very sharp delivery in the very first right. yeah. like, in, hour in like movie. a sharpness that follows her physical acting mm-hmm. as well in a really cool way. Yeah. She, um, I don't. I think there may be like two or three times in that movie where she's like holding the stick with one hand and it's like she looks like she's carrying this lightsaber but otherwise she looks like I don't know a, a school teacher like just it's ready the, to beat yeah, your knuckles a lecturer right yeah, yeah exactly um, the um, not being able to disguise her bearing is also uh, in a way commented on later when the the posse is, is traveling and they come upon that inn or wherever that they're going to stay a brothel. for the, a brothel mm-hmm. yeah, yeah uh, way worse thank you um <laughs> Right, um, and that be, you know we come across this um, this woman who eventually joins their party, who was purchased, um, and the princess is sort of like keeping an eye on her, making kind of threatening movements. Um, and I believe that's Iko Miyoshi. She's only okay. credited in on Wikipedia as uh, Yuki's lady in waiting. I don't remember if the character okay. has a name. Yeah, I don't. I don't think they refer to her by name. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I cool. think I think it was Rokuroda who eventually comes in and is like, well, 
hey, knock it off, like we're on a mission, like something to that effect. And right, because because yeah. Yuki Yuki is uh, he she underst or she sees that this lady in waiting um, is from the Akizuki clan, mm. and she oh, can't yeah. bring herself to leave one of their own behind in this terrible place. Mm. Right. And, and she says, um, you cannot make my heart mute, too, uh, which is one of my favorite mm. lines. Yeah, one of my favorite lines. I'm so yeah. glad you wrote that down. Yeah. It's a bumper sticker now. Yeah. I would have that as well. Yeah. Do not sticker. joke. Redbubble exists. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, like, that's a really great sequence and, uh, and a really terrible uh, – because, like, the, the brothel is so disgusting. And, like, I think it's pointed – I think it's an interesting idea that Kurosawa is going to – demonstrate the the sort of depravity that systems like these can lead to mm-hmm. um it is such a bummer to like be in this movie and see like oh these are women that are being sold into sexual slavery by uh like semi-empowered terrible men yeah and uh and all and also like you know yuki yuki's uh ambitions for saving them don't extend beyond this one person. Like, mm-hmm. the brothel's not coming down. It's just this one person. <laughs> but uh, that person goes on to have her own sort of arc, right? Where, mm-hmm. like, like Yuki's kindness becomes a loyalty. Uh, where the, the lady-in-waiting starts to follow them and defends Yuki from the sexual predators that we follow. From during, those zany two characters yeah, who want to uh, assault but, this woman. But basically, like, we see how Yuki's leadership and in, in her strength of character becomes something worth following. And mm-hmm. so that, like, that's how Yuki becomes a leader in her own right, is through her uh, passion for people. Mm-hmm. Um which is really cool, and like I liked Yuki's Lady in Waiting a lot. Uh, there's a really good scene, some really good physical acting, where like she defends Yuki while she's sleeping with this rock that she hoists, <laughs> and like it's almost too heavy for her. But like whenever the the two men approach the sleeping Yuki, she just like lifts it above her head, like <laughs> I'm gonna fucking bring this rock down on you. And like yeah. she can barely do it, but it's like it's so cool and like so endearing to see her like struggle with that rock. Um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, I, I do you think Kurosawa is trying to make just like a I mean there's a lot of um, meaningful and probably political stuff in here, but was he trying to make just, you know, a superficial entertaining action film for his audiences from your interpretation? Yeah, um, yeah. And I think he went on to say as much. Um he cited films like Rashomon, yeah. like more inaccessible sorts mm-hmm. of things, um as being like okay, I've made those and now for Toho I'm going to make something that's thrilling and fun to mm-hmm. kind of offset that. Yeah. He did. He did say that. That was a well, according to IMDb trivia, he did. Yeah, sure, that, no, that's, that's what great. I get out of it. Is he just wanted to have fun? It was. Yeah, it was kind of. But his, even even in just wanting to have fun, he gave this movie some. Well, yeah, there's always bad. that. That's that's a good auteur. Is well, I mean, right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like there was there was the very pointed uh, decision that I brought up earlier to make to frame this movie in such a way that it focuses on the little people, right, mm-hmm. the peasants, and like even that is an interesting exploration of what genre can do, right? It's like we're going to have this adventure, this typical popcorn movie but we're also going to introduce the universe of peasantry to it right like we're going to we're going to like make you think about what it's like for everyone else when these adventures happen i mean even even the the ending sort of uh foregrounds that right where like we see yuki and uh makabe and then todokuro who ends up defecting to their side which is fantastic i love todokuro in this movie um but they, they make it back to their clan, and they assume their rightful places. Uh, Tahe and Matasichi don't even recognize Yuki when she's dressed as a princess. Uh, <laughs> and we see Makabe for the first time in his, like, samurai regalia, um, which is so great. And uh, they, they have a final scene with 
Tahe and Matasichi where they reward them for their help, I guess. Yeah, they, <laughs> man, that made me so sad. Uh, they did more to sabotage but, the mission than anything. But they, they they're should be given, in prison forever. Yeah, <laughs> they're given gold, and they're told not to fight over it, which is cute. But then um, they go away, right? Like, like we cut away from that scene, and that's the last time we see Yuki and uh, Makabe and Tonokuro, mm-hmm. who yeah. would be ostensibly the main characters of a typical action adventure movie. Mm-hmm. But instead, the movie keeps going, and we keep focusing, and we have this... Uh, this epilogue with Tahe and Marasichi because they're the real focus of this movie for better and worse. Um, Don't they say something like we should still be friends or something like that? Uh, they they go back and forth. They have they have yeah. an arc where like when when fortune favors them, they're friends, and then the moment or when sorry when fortune's against them, they're best friends and they're they're looking out for each other. And then the moment that that fortune is on their side, they're stabbing each other in the back to get ahead of one another. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was just a cute. <laughs> one little line if it wasn't for their just completely immoral acts but yeah, yeah the line was just like you know it felt like best friends yeah <laughs> <laughs> but the way it ended on but yeah when once uh once they leave i didn't really like the ending of the movie to be honest other than the last action scene which i loved but um yeah it felt like kind of an off- I, mean, I mean i don't know if it should have ended with them or not the two peasants just because it did begin with them so that kind of makes sense but like you guys are saying, I think it's then you're trying to it's trying to get you on their side, and you're trying to you know trying to sympathize with them, which I didn't like. But yeah, it it, it feels natural to me. Like mm-hmm. you only realize near the end of the movie that like oh yeah we we began this movie with these characters. They were the lens through which we were watching most of it, even though they were objectively terrible people eighty mm-hmm. percent of the time. Um, and it's it maybe not your phrasing of it's their story. Did you is that something you said? Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'd agree that it's their story necessarily because I mean their lives are questionably changed throughout the process. Uh, mm-hmm. But it is definitely like their eyes through which I, we're I seeing think it's, somebody it's, else's. They, it's an invasion of reality upon the epic, right? Like the adventure. Like they are witnesses to the story, mm-hmm. I guess is the better way to put it. But like Kurosawa, like pointedly, like it's funny because like this movie is even like two hours and 15 minutes long. And like you can see the feature length adventure movie in there. Yeah. Like it's in there. And like it stars... Yuki and Makabe and Tadokuro and like, but that's not the movie that this is because there's this invasion of the picaresque and the absurd and uh, grotesque upon it. Yeah. And like, like we get these the the common folk that witness this thing instead. And so like, it's not an adventure movie. It's a picaresque movie that contains. Uh, it's like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead <laughs> in that way. In that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern have a way of talking to one another, and then seamlessly it transitions into Hamlet's actual text whenever they have to go to court. Uh, <laughs> it's a it's brilliant. Uh, that's a it turns out that's a really good play. Tom Stoppard, <laughs> uh, that really reminded these two characters reminded me a lot of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern or um, shit. Uh, Vladimir and Estragon from Waiting for Godot. The two sort of like uh, lowly, uh, good for nothing, like hard hard luck mm-hmm. um, friends who are sort of like acted upon more than acting, uh, and who be- come to witness something more than they enact change. Right, which is why to me the Star Wars things don't really ring true. Is because like if we're comparing as one would these two characters to R two D two and three C three PO. Uh, I know my Star Wars really good. Um, <laughs> Star Trek? What is it? I don't know. What the fuck are you talking about? Continue. Then we, uh, then we would have to say that like R2-D2 and C-3PO were the, like our lens for Star Wars. And they weren't. They were our introduction to the 
universe of it a little bit. Like they were uh, the way that they were the, like first characters we come to know. But it, it would be absurd stops. to say well, that's that R two D two and C three. Yeah, that's what George movie. Lucas directly said in interviews is the only thing he ripped off. I think. Well, and the princess part, but. Well, I feel I feel like uh, Harry was saying that you see that feature length movie inside of um, Hidden mm-hmm. Fortress, and I feel like George Lucas saw that too and just took that, mm-hmm. took that like structure, <laughs> took that concept, yeah, and, right. said, yeah. and said this framing is neat for an introduction. I'll do that, and then like mm-hmm. forget about those characters more or less. You know, like absorb them into these little comedic relief. Uh, again, I'm not like that's super really on, interesting. Yeah, I'm not super on the side of Madashichi and oh my god, why do I keep Tahe? Tahe. Tahe. Um, but at the same time, I feel like they are definitely more built as characters and more built as a lens for the. And I keep using yeah. the term lens for this movie because I don't know any other word for this for the, what they are t- to me for this movie. Um, but uh, and and in a way that three PO and and D two are not. I don't know. Right, yeah, which yeah. is that's an interesting point because uh, we're going to get into my weird criticisms of Star Wars. We have, uh, <laughs> oh, thank I th- God. I Let's think that I think the extended universe of of Star Wars is always so like half-drawn, right? Oh, totally. It, primarily because there's so much just the Skywalker story. Like, like Star Wars is great, and but it, it is just a traditional adventure story, right? Which is why it's kind of hard to care about the EU, in my opinion. Like, I know a lot of people love the EU. I, You know, that's the great. The EU? The extended universe of Star oh, Wars. Oh, my like, God. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Wavelength. Oh, so like Phantom Menace you? and... Uh, <laughs> I, I was thinking of the European Union. Oh, <laughs> wow. Highbrow me. A lot of people love um, the, the EU. Not, a lot not of people love May. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I'm pro-Brexit. No, I'm super <laughs> not pro-Brexit. Okay. Um, okay. A lot of people love the extended criticisms universe. of everything. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but anyway, uh, it, so, like... It would have been interesting to do a, a Hidden Fortress Star Wars, right? Because, like, like Hidden Fortress is so much about, like, remember when you're watching these adventure stories that other things exist. Mm-hmm. Like, that th- there is a, a reality beyond the epic and the sort of traditional that it, that is here and that is affected by these things. Like, these broad sweeping movements of lords and knights affect things. It would have been really interesting to see how the Skywalker story affects normal people in uh-huh. the Star Wars universe. That's never really the story we get, which is okay, but like that's an interesting point of comparison with Hidden Fortress because I think it it sort of demonstrates what Hidden Fortress is all about, which is about depicting the possibility of a world outside of the epic, right? Like that that exists. Um and that I think that's a really cool and valid theory even if as you said, Jason, it doesn't quite work in practice. Yeah. Maybe because, like you said, Cody, uh, Tahe and Matasichi are despicable. It, it didn't super hold water for me, no. Uh, Cody, Star Wars good? Star Wars bad? Like, in general? Ooh, we're going to really split our audience here. Uh, Star Wars in general, good. Star Wars good. <laughs> uh, wh- what, is the, what is the worst Star Wars installment? What is a Star Wars? I think it's Phantom Menace. Um, yeah. Very, very easily. I do not like Rogue One. At all. I mean, I wouldn't say it's worse oh, than The Phantom wow. Menace, but I fucking hate that movie. <laughs> I don't like Rogue One either, but that's a... Uh, oh, really good. That's true. I'm not yeah. the only one. Boring as fuck. <laughs> uh, I, I don't like Attack of the Clones very much. I like Phantom Menace more than maybe Revenge of the Sith, which is my hot take about the prequels. Anyway. Tune in for more. <laughs> yeah. There uh, is a 
This is stupid, but there's a trailer online with, I think, the Star Wars Force Awakens music set to the Hidden Fortress shots as a trailer. Oh, awesome. It's really stupid. Do not that watch it. That sounds great. Oh, man. <laughs> Do they have the audio down to, like, bit crush it and I only it watched the first old? half Because that'd be pretty cool, too. I might want to watch it, yeah. It, it looked we, cool at the beginning. How can we make more enemies? Uh, <laughs> Knights of the Old Republic 2 is better than the first game uh, by a considerable margin. Um, Get out. I've never played <laughs> Force Awakens and Last Jedi are both great movies. Yeah. Uh, Force Awakens is really great. Um, Last Jedi is amazing. Yeah, The Last Jedi is yeah. amazing. Han Solo, or the, the Solo, I forget the name of that movie. Solo, Solo, Solo a Star not Wars. I not like that movie. I, not I think it's movie. good. I, think, I like it. I think the cinematography is great. Like, so bad. Great low lighting really? cinematography. Ooh. I liked it yeah. more than Rogue One, though, I will say that. Oh, <sighs> Okay, but I'm not a Star Wars guy. So. Are, are we back? If we're back on Hidden Fortress, have we said all we want to say? All we've been talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I think if if like if the idea of an adventure story or like a full adventure story that's actually Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead appeals to you, then maybe check this out. Uh, I, I don't think it's actually as good as I just made it sound, which sucks. Mm, but overall, um, I think I, it tries. I, overall, I, I might agree that maybe like the way that we've been talking about the things that we liked about the movie maybe don't translate to the entire film but i would say for if if you're for some reason listening to this very niche podcast <laughs> after several episodes of this single Hi, director and you're still and you still haven't watched any of these movies try watching this one first of kurosawa's movies as sort of a primer because it'll be related to stuff you've seen before hmm. probably familiar with and as cody was mentioning great introduction to Toshiro Mifune's mm. sort of range and as an like, actor. like, maybe also weirdly his fault. Uh, Who is Kurosawa's? Kurosawa's. Like, yeah. I think this is sort of a messy movie and you maybe can that'll get you yeah. to... Get better as he yeah. went on. I, I mean, mean, his movies are so different. As he went on, I guess. This was not an early Kurosawa film. <laughs> All right. It is weird thinking about this one in Redbeard being from the same director, which is just insane. Yeah, like, he had a tremendous range. Yeah. Um... It's funny that we liked the adventure aspects of this movie the best of anything. Maybe that shows that we're, we basic. Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> but but I, yeah, I think yeah. as an adventure movie, it's great. As like a yeah. picaresque larger movie, it maybe fails to reach what it's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, Still super interesting for that, though. I, yeah. I think it's definitely worth seeing for those for both of those aspects. I want to get this on Blu-ray. Well, I want to get a lot of his movies on Blu-ray. Do you guys have a Blu-ray of this? No. I, just I s- was trying to remember... Um, because the uh, I know as I mentioned, Stray Dog is just a DVD. It does look like this. It has, does exist on wow, Blu-ray. Hidden Fortress from, has a Blu-ray. Okay. Okay. And Stray Dog doesn't. Stray Dog does not. What? That's bullshit. I know. Bullshit. Stray Dog is one of the best Kurosawa movies. Sure. We're gonna talk. Seven about Seven Samurai's it. got a Blu-ray, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got the Seven Samurai. How many one. fucking discs is Sam- Seven Samurai? Uh, good question. I haven't opened it yet. <laughs> Seven because probably. Because the day I got yeah. it, yeah. I, hey. I saw it at Trilon. <laughs> nice. Um, it's yeah. just 20 minutes on each disc. And it, I was going to say, any number of discs that it has would not be enough. Yeah, exactly. Well, special features and stuff. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. It's, I think I, I own it, too, and I think it's maybe two or three, but the movie's okay. on one. So. I might have to borrow that from you to have Charlie watch it so I, she can I, be on the cast. I We can lend you two copies at once. Totally. <sighs> maybe she could go to the trilon for once. Jeez. Absolutely. Yeah. Go see Charlie. Charlie. She saw um, Hidden Fortress with us, right? Yeah. And yeah. Valley Girl. And Valley Girl. Yeah. Nice. I think Maybe I'm go to the try on for, for all the reasons that we've talked about. Got him. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is, that is Hidden Fortress, 1958, Akira Kurosawa. I said I wasn't going to talk so much, and I still did. We t- all talked a lot for. Sorry an about hour. my gross, sick voice. Huh. You're going to hear it again in a second. You know, honestly, I'm getting used to it. <laughs> I bet gross, sick voice m- would make for good podcast voice, but I guess maybe. Sounds we, like a we, nice we, so much Sam Elliott over there. It's pretty hot. Wow, yeah, it does. <laughs> 
right. We'll be Thanks for listening, always. everybody. I was going to do my Sam Elliott impression. All right, do you Sam Elliott. Fuck it. Well, let me tell you all. This has been a hell of a time. That was not a good... That was, not, that was just a cowboy. It. Literally just a cowboy. Know that this is a mercy killing when I stop this recording. Please. It's-